Welcome to Autism Knows No Borders. Discover what's possible when people impacted by autism inspire change and build community. Together with the Global Autism Project, here's your host, Rachel Harmon. Hello, everyone. Our guests today are two autism self-advocates, Thomas Island and David Sharif. Thomas Island is a certified public accountant, distinguished Toastmaster, certified human potential coach, and author of Come to Life, a book that aims to help youth discover their own potential. David Sharif is a magna cum laude graduate with a Bachelor of Arts in Political Science and Peace and Justice Studies. He currently works as a job coach, supporting individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities in building fulfilling, independent lives. In today's conversation, we discuss their experiences requesting accommodations at school and in the work environment, the benefits of traveling and learning about different cultures, and how the COVID-19 pandemic has affected their personal and professional lives. In this episode, discover what's possible when you acknowledge your needs and ask for help. For more information about Tom and David, please visit our show notes at autismknowsnoborders.com. And now, I present you, Thomas Island and David Sharif. Hello, David and Tom. Welcome to Autism Knows No Borders. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here, Rachel. Let's start with some introductions. Could you please say your name and some background information related to your advocacy work? Tom, would you like to start us off? Yes, I'm Thomas Island. I'm in Los Angeles, California, in the United States. I'm 36 years old, and I'm on the autism spectrum. I'm a certified public accountant, but I decided to leave that career behind about five years ago in order to tell my story of growing up with autism and help people on a personal level. And I'm now a distinguished Toastmaster. I've become one of only 88 Toastmasters accredited speakers in the world. It's like mastering the art of public speaking. And I'm also a certified human potential coach, so I know how to ask the right questions and help you discover and use your own personal power. And I'm the author of a book, Come to Life, Your Guide to Self-Discovery. This book helps people discover that life doesn't come to them. It's up to them to come to life. This has a lot of secrets that I really want to share with the world. So thank you very much for having me today, Rachel. Wonderful. David, how about you? My name is David Sharif. I am living in Ridgewood, New York, which is right by the border of Queens and Brooklyn in New York City. I am a magna cum laude graduate of Pace University with a Bachelor of Arts in Political Science and Peace and Justice Studies. I am currently working for the employment and business services of a large nonprofit where I am a job coach and I support individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities in building fulfilling lives, teaching them what to be aware of and like how to navigate an independent life. In terms of proceeding with my autism advocacy work, I am writing a chapbook of poems that reflect my experiences growing up. I am also writing my first book, which is about my experience 
in summer camp and how it can become a positive influence on an autistic individual's personal growth. And I am kind of following the same footsteps as Thomas Island. I am potentially wanting to pursue a public speaking career, hopefully with the National Speakers Association or another public speaking environment where I can travel the world and talk about autism and to give very, very clear messages about it and how much it means for it. Well, we're happy to have both of you as part of our community. And it turns out that you've actually crossed paths and you've been at one of each other's speaking engagements before. It's a small world, isn't it? (laughs) It is. It is. Great. So in previous episodes of this podcast, we've touched on the importance of advocating for accommodations. And today I'd like to delve a little deeper into specifics on this topic. So first I'd like to make a distinction between accommodations and modifications. Would one of you be able to clarify the difference between the two? I would say accommodations have to do with services or adjustments, if you will, that are entitlements under the Americans with Disabilities Act. So when someone is employed and has a disability, they would be entitled to accommodations under the Americans with Disabilities Act. And in my experience with employers, these are adjustments that aren't like moving mountains. So for instance, you can't have everybody's schedule change just for one person, but accommodations might be wearing a hat in the office if the fluorescent lights are too much, or maybe having your directions be given to you in writing, or have like uh, physically speaking, like a, a wheelchair ramp or something. Things of that nature are accommodations. Modifications are ways that, like I mentioned, with instructions being given in writing versus orally, or tweaking how information is already given in order to, I hate to use the the other term, but to accommodate a person with a disability. So that's a little bit of a difference between accommodations and modifications. Is it also true that modifications might entail that you are changing the expectation of the end product of whatever the assignment is, whether it's school or at work? It can be. Okay. We want the the lesson or the moral of the story, if you will, to be the same or relatively similar, regardless of how the person learns it. And there are lots of learning styles out there. There's visual, there's auditory, kinesthetic. And the idea is that all learners get the same lesson and have the same outcome, or at least learn the same material, regardless of their learning style. Mm-hmm. And David, could you elaborate on why it's important to advocate for accommodations? Certainly. In order for me to have the accommodations that I wanted during my college career, I had to take a very, very long, brutal examination where one of my psychologists would clarify my strengths and weaknesses and the kinds of needs that I would want. So when I went to my undergraduate career at Pace University, I was accommodated with double time for examinations. I was not permitted to use lecture notes during the exam unless if my instructor allowed it. And for all of my classes, I was given a note taker, which kind of means there would be someone in the class 
taking notes for me and then they would be put on a website where I can look back at them again and I needed them when I wanted to prepare for an exam or even when writing my paper to make sure that I am covering all the material that is expected for my instructors. And even if I do have these accommodations, I still have to adhere to the academic integrity code. I have to be able to adjust to the teaching styles of my instructors. And I also have to be willing to communicate with them a lot more than just being able to hand in an accommodation document that they have to sign and then that I would have to return to the disabilities office of my school. And in order for me to get extended time for exams, I had to fill out TARP sheets and send them in at least a week in advance, mainly for midterms or final exams. They had to be sent in a week or two earlier. And if I didn't send them in time, then I would very likely not have gotten the extended time that I wanted. Mm. And thankfully, with spending countless hours with the study abroad office, I advocated for my accommodations to be fulfilled when I wanted to travel abroad for a semester in Barcelona and other short-term travel abroad experiences that I had during my sophomore and senior year. So that was a very, very valuable thing. And regardless of that, I had to adapt to the education systems of the country I was traveling to And I also needed more clarity about the um, teaching methods that are usually done over there. So with that, I had a tutor who was not only connected with my instructors, but is experienced in that particular education system and really, really knows what it's like and how assignments are usually expected to be done within that setting. So as far as accommodations for schools, does it depend on what the school is capable to offer? Or are you kind of guaranteed to have your accommodations met because you have a disability? You're never guaranteed to have your accommodations met if you have a disability, if you do not disclose. Because by the time you're in college, you have to be at the age or the point where you can't get mom and dad to come fight your battles for you. You have to be able to have like an IEP, a 504 plan or something in writing that shows you have a documented disability. These are areas where you struggle. These are accommodations or ideas that could improve your college experience. Because if you don't step forward, if you don't say something, you're not going to get the help. I actually know a woman in my hometown here who has autism, but she's afraid to talk to men. And she did not approach this disabilities office, and as a result, failed her first semester. Wow. So it's up to the person with autism or other disability to work with their allies or come up with something in writing together and have the person go to the office and make the request. Because if you do not ask for something, how are you going to expect to get it? And if you know that you struggle with like racing against the clock in a test, you could request double time as I did. If you can't stand like people clearing their noses or <clears throat> throats during tests, as I did, I request my own room in the disabilities office or a note taker. All these accommodations that we don't really think about but are 
necessary for the best college experience. So it's up to us, the individual, to make the ask. Yes, it's stressful. Yes, it's anxiety provoking, but that is the hurdle you must overcome if you are to have the best experience in college and beyond. Because when I went to take the CPA exam, I knew that vocabulary is not my strongest suit. And I let the California Board of Accountancy know I struggle with vocabulary. And they said, you know what, we're not here to test your ability to know vocabulary. We're testing your ability to apply the principles of accounting. So we are going to send you a Franklin Electronic Dictionary to use during the CPA exam. Hmm. I was taken aback. I never thought to request that kind of accommodation. And I'm like, if only I had that so many years in school growing up, something where I could look up a word that I didn't know the meaning of during a test. And I think that could help a lot of people with autism, having a way to look up words they don't know without disturbing the peace and it be a legit accommodation. Sometimes you, you got to make that ask. Right. Got to make the ask. Mm-hmm. Thomas is absolutely right about this. It is your responsibility to advocate for it and to make sure that these accommodations are suitable for where you are choosing to go or pursue your education. And to be honest about it, if the schools that I wanted to travel abroad with, if they told me that they are unable to accommodate my needs, then very likely I would have not traveled to those countries or pursued credits within their school environments. And that's a very, very serious thing for me. Mm -hmm. And moving further with getting extended time on exams, when I got the double time that I wanted, I felt less pressured. So if I ever got stuck on a question, I could just skip it and then go back to it after taking care of the easy questions. Another thing that the disabilities office is fully aware of is that if there is a student who has a question that they are struggling with or doesn't understand, or if they think that there is a mistake on it, we can always go to our proctors and they can always contact our instructors. Our professors are required to put their contact information on the sheets that we fill out and turn in a week before our exams. So if we want to contact our professors that we think there's a mistake or if there's something we're stuck on, then there is consideration in both sides about it. And regardless of that, I had to adjust to the teaching styles of my instructors and I had to, you know, ask countless questions, you know, on how to, you know, communicate with them and how to connect with them. And they understand that, and they even understand that there will be confusion when they have students with special needs. But it's up to those students, if you approach them respectfully and ask legitimate questions, they will always be more than happy to help you. It's just entirely up to you to step forward with that. Right. Another thing that was also a part of me preparing for exams is that I was being very blunt and asking questions about what am I responsible for? What do I need to study? And there were times I needed some more clarification on that. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell a quick story about advocating for yourself. We, we keep telling our students they need to advocate for themselves, but a lot of times they won't know what that means. And I actually gave a little story or an example for a client of mine. He had difficulty going to his professor for help during office hours. But he also liked Marvel comics. 
And I knew that the X-Men were in Marvel Comics. So I told this young man, okay, I want you to pretend you're an X-Man and you're going to see Professor Xavier for help. <laughs> and his face, his face lit up. He was energized and excited and mustered up the courage to go do that. Yeah. So, and in my book, Come to Life, we talk about being the hero in your life. So you can think of people or characters that you relate to and apply their strengths and their journey to your own. And you make something for yourself being the hero in your life. Yeah, that's really great advice. And I guess because, you know, right now we're talking about college students who may have gained a little bit more confidence in even disclosing their diagnosis. What about for younger kids? What experiences do you have to share from when you were in elementary school receiving IEPs and working with the teachers during that time? So I'll tell you the story about how I first got diagnosed. I was in California. My younger sister and younger brother were getting calls from their friends looking to hang out on the weekends or after school. One day I asked my mom, Mom, why doesn't the phone ever ring for me? She had to think on her toes really quickly rather than say, you don't have any friends. She explained to me, you're still learning how to make friends. Mm. And that started the whole conversation. She proceeded to sit me and my dad down at the table and they explained to me what my diagnosis was. I had a pattern of differences and I'm thinking, well, well, I don't want to be different. I don't want to have autism. I want to be like everybody else. And it was very devastating at first. But thinking about that being the hero example I gave, I'm a big Batman fan, as David knows. (laughs) So I thought to myself, what would Batman do in this situation? He would find a way to face his fears. He would use his mind to overcome those difficulties. He would face that darkness. So I went out of my room, went to my mom, okay, mom, what's this autism thing? And she explained to me what it was all about. But she also let me know that my mom and my dad would love me no matter what and would not stop fighting for me no matter what. And as we talk about advocating for ourselves, when I see my parents fighting for me, not taking no for an answer, finding some service or some way for me to get the help I need, that let me see, wow, I'm worth fighting for. I'm going to go fight for myself. Mm-hmm. So I think that, that from a young age, I was about fifth or sixth grade when that happened. And it set the tone for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Was it then easier for you to talk to your other classmates and your teachers about autism and let them know what you needed in the classroom environment? Not at first, or particularly during elementary school and junior high school and early high school, where there was a lot of bullying and kids see differences and think that that's bad or they'll make fun of that. So I did have my fair share of bullying in the public school system and even went to a school here in California that specializes in social skills for people with autism. And I received direct, explicit instruction on nonverbal communication eye contact, tone of voice, sarcasm, irony, euphemisms, idioms, all these concepts of reading comprehension that a lot of people with autism don't really have or understand at first. But once it was explained to me, it started to make sense. And I think that's missing in so many lives of people with autism, particularly young people that aren't caught up on social norms or don't know the underlying social rules or know the words on the page, but don't know what the words mean. Mm-hmm. or what the what the author is looking to convey. So we need more direct, explicit instruction on the soft skills, how to talk to people, how to 
relate and pick up on those nonverbal cues so that they can have a better experience. Mm-hmm. I absolutely agree with Thomas Island's point on this. So when I was in elementary school, I was actually enrolled in a non-public special needs school that serves students with autism and other developmental disabilities, which is from pre-K to 12th grade of high school. And this is a school where it's like at least a maximum of 15 students per class. And there's usually one or two teacher assistants in the room, depending on the assignments of how it is. Back in elementary school, we had my classmates and I had a very, very good teacher that really helped us improve our reading skills and really develop stronger vocabulary and how to catch sentences that really, really don't make sense and how you can connect them to normal things that people are really used to and are familiar with. So that was a very, very huge deal to really improving our reading. But once again, like what Thomas said before, reading comprehension is not one of our strengths because usually it's easy for us to interpret things that are meant to be black and white. Reading comprehension does not show any of that. It requires being a detective to really entail what the story is telling. And that's a very big challenge. And to go back again on Thomas Island's point, This is the part where I don't scare people, but this is very important because if you're not prepared for this, then you will not greatly support those individuals with special needs. More than 95% of the time, you have to communicate directly with them. Expecting them to read between the lines will cause confusion and a lot of misunderstanding. Direct communication will help the autistic individual understand what you're explaining, regardless if they are verbal or nonverbal. That is the main key to helping an autistic individual grow their social skills, develop their advocacy skills, encourage them to work harder at things no matter what they want to pursue. And going back to my schooling years before my college days, I met with a speech pathologist every year. The same thing went for um, social therapists, too, where I met with them in the office at least once a week. And then there were times when we added group therapy sessions with the same therapist. And then we just really talked about things, focusing on topic. And I had to learn to pick up on sarcastic statements even sarcastic ones that I'm not really, really tolerant about and that do affect the inspirations that I use to succeed. What I hated most about my school experience before going to college was the mistreatment I faced for my world travels, summer camp, trailblazing, my favorite movies, my attachments to sport, because growing up, I was a huge fan of Kobe Bryant, which is my poster right here, and his legendary success attaches to what I wanted to pursue in high school. I was also mistreated about my academic performance, wanting to choose a different path to post-high school for post-secondary education, which was going to a university. And believe it or not, I am the first student 
from my school to attend a prestigious university in New York City in the other side of the country. And that is because I was in a very small school and the majority of the students or my peers were choosing to start their college career at local community colleges, which I always supported them with. And as long as, you know, we respected each other's decisions, there would be no argument about it. And it was a huge unfortunate outcome that I hated the most. Well, you know, it's podcasts like these or, you know, TV shows that are becoming more mainstream that bring more awareness to what autism is and what people need. And I think hearing from you guys, hearing from the voices of people with autism, expressing your experiences and the mistreatment and the bullying that you've had growing up will hopefully encourage parents to talk to their children about what autism is and to just be more accepting in general. Very much so. My mother has a term that uh, inclusion is actually cluing in the peers. Mm. The peers need to know how to best work with the student with autism, not necessarily to revolve the world around him or her, but to make sure that the person is invited to gatherings, is made to be part of the group, or maybe not made to be, but at least extend the offer. Right. Because sometimes people may not want to play, but they love receiving the invitation. And there's a huge stereotype out there that people with autism don't want friends, don't want relationships, but nothing could be further from the truth. We do want to be accepted for who we are and included in these events or gatherings, what have you. But we're not always going to be the ones to say, hey, can I come? Or when we do ask, can I come? It looks awkward or like, no, you weren't invited, but we're not going to say you're not invited. Mm-hmm. So that, that social awkwardness that gets created when we can really clue in the peers and make sure everybody has equal opportunities to be part of the group and participate equally, then we will have made good strides. Mm-hmm. This is absolutely relevant to summer camp because in 2011, I ventured on a different camping experience where I was going to summer camp in the Poconos for three weeks. My first plan to bonding with neurotypical people from all over the world was to address my autism speech. And that was the major step to advocating for my needs and finding a way to make everlasting friendships, which is the main philosophy of the summer camp that I went to and was a counselor with. Growing up being a huge fan of the Harry Potter series, I used my love for Harry Potter and for his character of how different he is from others around him. And I just imagined my magical camping experience, like attending a wizarding school in the Scottish Highlands. And many of the people who hated me and did not respectfully treat me for my personal experiences kept saying that summer camp is not for me. But I found a home away from home and I connected with people from all over the world. And that's where I changed my social skills. And every day when I got bullied in school, when I got off the school bus or the cab, right before having a snack and doing homework, the very first thing I looked at was the kind words that my fellow camp friends wrote to me because I needed that kind of wisdom to fulfill my dreams and to go where I wanted to go. Mm -hmm. 
Well, that's beautiful. I'm glad that you were able to turn it into a positive experience. I'd like to transition to talking about accommodations related to the work environment. So, Tom, could you share in what ways you've had to disclose your diagnosis at work? All right. So, a little bit about my accounting and autism journey. So, I was able to secure an internship at the Walt Disney Company after graduating from college. And I got the foot in the door, so to speak, from a classmate who introduced me to his managers and got the interview set up. And I ended up making it into the internship program. Now, prior to that introduction, I had disclosed a couple of times during an interview, like once I interviewed to become a bookkeeper at a local golf course, I mentioned I had autism and I didn't get the job. Thought to myself, maybe I shouldn't say I have autism. That could be a reason I'm not getting hired. And employers or potential employers can't say we didn't hire you because you have autism. That's illegal. So they won't say why they wouldn't hire you. So I went to the Disney interview without saying that I'm on the spectrum, but my qualifications showed that I was good for the job and I earned it under my own merit. So I start the internship and about a week in, I realized I was kind of in over my head. I didn't really understand the work or the tasks, needed help and would ask a lot of questions. So a couple of weeks into the internship, the manager met with each of the interns. I was working with five other interns met individually. And that was where I took the opportunity to disclose my diagnosis and explained, I have difficulty embracing this concept. Can you maybe give me my directions in writing? Or I may ask the same question multiple times. It will eventually stick if you could please be patient with me on that. And my manager was very receptive, appreciated that I was able to confide in her about that. And I ended up being promoted within that department and became the lead intern supervising those interns a few years later. And they got their workload done faster than ever in the department's history under my supervision because I literally wrote the manual on how to do a property tax return. That's what we were doing, property taxes. And I gave it to them and they had fewer questions, became more efficient. And that's how I made an impact in that regard. Now, Disney didn't offer me a full-time position with benefits after the internship expired. So I went on to work at another internship at a big four firm, worked a couple of temp jobs, finally secured a permanent job with benefits. And I'd never had one before. It always been something that was not a full-time entry-level position. So I finally get this job and my manager at this job knew my manager at Disney. So I'm thinking he's going to be caring. He's going to be open to my accommodations or what I need on the job after I've been hired. But the opposite happened. I explained to him, I need assistance. I have autism. Here's how you can help me. And he said to me, you lied in the interview. I don't have to help you and I'm not going to. Wow. And that's illegal. So HR got called in. I had a job coach going to bat for me. But I ultimately found out just how miserable I was working for him. And I think also how miserable I was working in accounting. So I think that situation, all that hard work I've done, all the jobs I've had, only to have my diagnosis thrown back in my face when I finally crossed the finish line, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And I resigned from that job after four months. And thankfully, his manager, my manager's manager, saw the potential in me, saw that I had gifts or could create value for the organization in other aspects. And I got offered a 
basically a glorified receptionist position. I think they made this position just for me so they wouldn't get sued for what that manager had done. But I stayed in that position. I didn't have anything else lined up. I became that glorified receptionist for two years and add, I think, more value to the organization than I would as the, the tax analyst job I had that I quit from. But more and more, not only requesting those accommodations, but how you go about disclosing your diagnosis to an employer, be it before, during, or after the interview, is your call, the, the individual's call, but be mindful of the consequences of doing so. If you disclose during the interview, you might not get the job and they can't say you didn't get it because you have autism. If you disclose after, you should be able to get accommodations, but be mindful. You might be told, no, you may have a situation or that they, the employer can't work with. Like I mentioned earlier, they can't move mountains for just one employee. And if it's reasonable accommodations and cost effective, because employers like accommodations that are cheap or relatively easy to work with, then you have a higher likelihood of staying with that company. And on the same note, being mindful of what you need help with and do your own homework, have an option. Like I mentioned with Disney, can you give me my directions in writing? Just be patient with me while I ask the same question a lot. Rather than just drop it in the employer's lap, say, I have autism. What are you going to do about it? That's not going to earn you any brownie points with anybody. So point is knowing yourself, understanding what kind of help you need and keeping the employer's budget, time, energy, effort, et cetera, in mind so that you're, you can be a team player and make it easier for everybody. Mm -hmm. Well, it's unfortunate that that happened to you, but in a way you kind of found a different calling for yourself and your career by getting out of accounting, right? Very much so. After I left that glorified receptionist job, I did take one more accounting position. And by then I hadn't even gotten the basics down or I'd gone from like a receptionist job to a full-time staff accountant. And so many years had gone by since I graduated college. And I didn't have any actual real work experience that by the time I got to like the full staff accountant position, I didn't even know the basics or I couldn't like reconcile payroll, for example. And I did have a job coach, but a job coach tends to remember how we talked about soft skills a job coach knows how to help with soft skills. They may not know the hard skills. Like a, a job coach would not know about reconciling payroll or other accounting procedures. So there was a six-month review for this staff accountant position. And it basically said that you need to know your stuff, like the hard skills in the next three months or you're gone. And the following day or two later, I put in my two weeks notice. Oh, wow. I, I realized that the accounting is not for me. I hadn't grasped the concepts. I also had a keynote presentation scheduled in Hawaii two months from then, and I didn't have the hours to take the time off. So leaving accounting after that six-month review, realizing that I'm not in the right place, I didn't know my stuff, and there's something waiting for me that's going to be better and make a bigger difference. That's where I belong. And I did that speech in Hawaii, got a standing ovation. Nice. My first keynote, Honolulu, Hawaii, standing ovation. And that's where I knew I'd found what I was meant to do. And I realized that I don't want to sit at a desk all day crunching numbers. I want to be able to set my own hours. I want to be my own boss. I want to help people on a personal level because those numbers that I'm calculating might only matter for a couple of years. 
But when I tell my story and help people see that they have what it takes, that's going to last them the rest of their lives. And I think I can make a bigger impact by sitting down with people and helping them see that they can do it. I've done it. Here's how I did it. Here's what you want to do. Let's see what we can do there. Mm -hmm. David, do you have anything to add about your experiences related to accommodations in the workplace? Being a counselor at summer camp was a major stepping stone because I really, really learned the aspects of having a job and how to maintain it regardless of what you choose. What the significance of being a team player, how to plan activities, how to adapt to other perspectives, and how to really show that you care about the people you are supporting. So being a camp counselor at the summer camp I went to as a camper and being there for two summers was a really huge thing. But then choosing to transition away from that and to look at other possibilities, when I was an upper sophomore, I participated in an employment work readiness program, which meant that I was studying and learning the expectations of the workplace, how you have to behave, how you communicate, building your resume, writing cover letters. I also did mock interviews, which is kind of like practice interviews that really help you prepare for the real interview of the job that you are applying for. And it was such a helpful resource because if I did not participate in those workshops, then I don't think my approach to the job environment, to the workplace would be the way it is right now. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to circle back to your experiences on the road and how autism has maybe affected the way that you travel. David, you've done a lot of traveling in your life, especially in college. What can you share about the logistics of traveling in relation to having autism? Well, before I get into that, I am going to turn the camera angle for a bit, and I am going to pull this slash out of my hand. These slashes that were a part of my graduation regalia signify all of the countries that I traveled to during my college career, and I have traveled to five of them. They are Ecuador. Spain, Switzerland, Germany, and Italy. So those are the places I traveled to. Being a world traveler takes a lot more than reading signs in an airport or a metro system. It requires understanding the different environment that you are in. My top favorite words of how you have a good travel experience are flexibility, patience, accepting, having an open mind, and being able to comprehend different perspectives with the kind of culture that you chose to be in. I've definitely had my fair share of travel experiences, both nationally and internationally. My family has always been about uh, traveling to other places, exploring other cultures, eating different cuisines. So from a young age, I've had a chance to go around Europe. I went to Australia. I've went to, been to South America and got to see what other places in the world are like. And I think in this day and age, we tend to keep to ourselves a little bit more. We don't really think about what's happening in other parts of the world. And I mentioned uh, at the beginning of this podcast that I'm in Toastmasters International, and the organization's in 143 countries. And I've had the chance to see and hear speakers from other countries, both in person and virtually. So I think that's one benefit 
or fringe benefit, if you will, of this pandemic we're in is I've had the chance to speak virtually in other countries like Kuwait, Pakistan, Nigeria, India. And you start to learn about what they like and don't like to talk about. For example, I found out that when I mentioned uh, LGBTQ rights in Kuwait, they got a little bit uneasy about that. So that's maybe not something they're familiar with or even support. So I won't be talking about that again in Kuwait. There are a lot of uh, uneasy moments, but a lot of perks and benefits to international travel, be you physically go there or you virtually speak in another country. And I think we need to look more outward and be mindful of what's going on in other countries just to see what we're going through. And we think we don't have it easy. Think of all those countries that are still developing that like, don't have access to running water at a moment's notice or clean air, good education. And this was really brought to my attention when I spoke at the United Nations last April and last December and their sustainable development goals. We need to make the world a better place so that all countries have equal access and opportunities so that the world can become a better place. Mm-hmm. I know we're all eagerly waiting until we can travel freely again. Oh, I miss it. I miss it. Yeah. As an organization, you know, the bulk of our work has been international travel and visiting our partner sites around the world. So we've had to shift and innovate to meet the current climate due to the COVID-19 pandemic. So how would you say having autism has affected your ability to cope with the uncertainty these days? Tom, would you like to start us off on this one? Certainly. I would say people with autism in particular have a lot of experience in what a lot of people are going through right now, being socially isolated, having that anxiety, not knowing what's going to come next. And I think this pandemic is actually a bit of an opportunity for people with autism to share their experiences and how they get through what they got through. It's almost like, welcome to our world right now, because this is how it feels to not be able to go out there. Maybe you're at home making your own fun because you didn't get invited to places or there's no gatherings and you're not sure when it's going to end, if at all. So there's a lot of opportunity for people with autism to share their stories of how they've coped, how they're feeling right now, and what they're going to do to improve their situation and make the world a better place in the process. So for example, before the pandemic, I was in the process of making my own online coaching business. And now, since I'm not traveling anywhere, I'm not really going places, I'm accelerating the building of that business so I can reach people in other countries and get my lessons out there and make a difference. Because I think a lot of people need to hear what I have to say to get them through these very uncertain times. Mm-hmm. Could you give an example of one of the ways that you've been able to cope? One of the ways I've been able to cope, uh, I mentioned that I like to travel and my family and I have had access to international countries and different cuisine. So I haven't been able to go to other countries, but I'm all about tasting different foods or sampling different cuisines. And in my hometown here of Santa Clarita, California, just north of Los Angeles, there are a lot of entrepreneurs and small businesses and family-owned companies, a lot of restaurants in particular. So every Tuesday, I go to a different restaurant and order from the menu and take pictures of what I 
order and put on my social media and hashtag takeout Tuesday. And then people see this cuisine and I'll visit different restaurants. Like I'll go to a, a Vietnamese restaurant, then I'll go to a Japanese restaurant, then I'll go to an Italian restaurant, then I'll go to a, a Mexican and have a different country or maybe even a different theme each week. So people look forward to that and are appetized by it. And then maybe they'll order takeout or something from that particular place and support the small business. So I'm thinking about my fellow business owners and residents here in this city and that they want to maintain their lives and livelihood. Mm -hmm. So that's one way I'm coping and making a difference, forming new habits, new routines, while also creating entertainment and educational value. Yeah, we're recording this on a Tuesday, actually. So where are you going for Takeout Tuesday today? Today, I'm going to a local restaurant here. They specialize in chicken tenders, wings and such. And I'll be over there taking pictures and showing my followers what I <laughs> what I have over there. And I, it was kind of funny when I saw people taking Instagram pictures, like what they're eating stuff on place. I thought that seems so weird or far fetched. But now here I am doing that <laughs> for a good for a good cause. <laughs> right. Yeah. And David, how would you say your autism has affected your ability to cope during these times? Really. The hardest thing, like I said before, I miss traveling the world and it's really hurting me right now because I have not traveled internationally at all this year and the time for me to reflect on my experiences. I have been traveling the world since I was two months old and this is how I want to live my life, but kind of, you know, accepting and moving on with it. I have been able to manage certain things that I would do out of the traveling landscape, which is taking care of my health. So I have been managing to do workouts at home and then just walking to the park doing 30 to 40 laps around the bases with a combination of running and walking. And even during the beginning and managing other things, I have been watching a lot of Netflix and Disney Plus to keep myself entertained. And with the sporting seasons continuing, that really excites me because then I'm really feeling more entertained. And as things started to get better, I have been able to see my close relatives like my grandma and to celebrate Jewish holidays or even birthdays. It was all done virtually for Zoom meetings and having the pleasure to be invited to speak on a podcast like I'm doing right now is a huge thing. And this is the very first podcast that I am doing. And I am so proud of all the experiences that I have shared with you and how this will affect the audience once it goes out. And filling in my time, I have been working on my book. I've been working on my poems and my health is always important. And that would definitely be the top priority behind family or other ones that can be pursued, which is traveling the world. Mm -hmm. Going back to what you were saying, Tom, about neurotypical people being now able to relate to what it feels like to have autism with the levels of uncertainty and anxiety. What advice would you give people who may be struggling from your own experiences and how you've dealt with uncertainty in your life. I think it was John Lennon that said, in the end, everything turns out all right. And if everything is not all right, it's not the end. So we are going to get through this. 
but we have to do it together. We are, as a society, as a world, we are the ones that have to unite, come together, and make the effort to get through this. Mm-hmm. Everyone has a part to play. And even something as basic as wearing a mask. I mentioned the idea of being the hero in your life. If you put on a mask and pretend or have that mentality that you're being a hero, like you're a superhero, you're making a difference, you're saving people's lives, you are empowered by wearing a mask or practicing other safety measures, that you're making a difference. And that's going to help in the long term. Those little, often random acts of kindness, too, can go a very long way. Uh, One story I had at Cinco de Mayo, May 5th, I was going to a Mexican restaurant on a takeout Tuesday. It was Tuesday. And I ordered from the register and was waiting for my food. And a few minutes later, a bunch of people showed up to pick up online orders. And I realized that the kitchen was not only overwhelmed, but understaffed. So they didn't have enough people to fill all those online orders on Cinco de Mayo. And I waited hours for my small order and realized I was like back of the line given the backlog they were having. And I decided since I was going to be having dinner with my parents later anyway, that I would give my meal away to somebody. So I wrote it down what I'd ordered, stuck it on the front door of the restaurant, hashtag pay it forward. Mm. And I put that out there for people to see. And somebody saw my good deed. And the next morning I get a knock on my door. I open it. There's my order. What I'd ordered the night before was there at my doorstep. Someone saw what I did and decided to bring it back to me. And <laughs> so the little things like that, little things we don't really think about until we're in that moment and we have the opportunity to be selfish or selfless. We need to be less selfish and more selfless in today's society. I think that's how we can cope and really make that difference. I can't emphasize that enough. Making a difference by being selfless. Those little random acts of kindness are going to go a long way in this pandemic. Yeah, I can just imagine anyone else on the receiving end of those acts of kindness feeling that human connection and that sense of community that we are all in this together. Do you have anything to add about accommodations related to COVID and your current situation right now, whether you're working from home or dealing with managing social situations? Building up on what we've been talking about so far, this is a a really opportune moment, a really good time for self-reflection to see who we are, whether we like what we're doing or where our life is going. And a key part of self-reflection is knowing your limits or what when you've had enough. And I've heard of people experiencing Zoom fatigue. There's only so many hours you can take in front of a screen before you have to shut it off. Mm-hmm. And, oh, yeah. and being able to really say what you feel, because I think too many of us keep quiet or aren't doing enough to not rock the boat. But when we really speak up, say what's in our hearts and on our minds, then we're going to have better outcomes for ourselves. And when we are our best selves, we make a bigger and better impact. So with respect to accommodations, simply saying no, no, I can't make it today. This isn't a good time. I have to recharge my batteries. Mm -hmm. And those that 
understand will be understanding and those that don't will probably not belong in your life or shouldn't be in your life to begin with. Mm. So this is really a good time as far as accommodations go to really say what you really, really need. And we're all struggling on some level and time and patience are two of the greatest gifts you can give someone with autism. And I think the world is starting to see that everybody needs time and patience sometimes. Yes, for sure. What really, really makes me sad the most is I love hugging people. I love providing comfort to those who support me. And with social distancing, I can't do that right now. That hurts me too. Mm -hmm. And it's unknown how long this will last. I am just so anxious right now. I want to get back on an airplane again. I want to travel somewhere because I'm kind of starting to likely accept that this will be my first year of not traveling at all. But then my parents are telling me to not think about that too quickly. Keep having faith and that something may happen and that you will be able to travel somewhere. And I want to, and I want to do a skill course trip with the Global Autism Project. And I will apply for the one that I think will be a good fit. And I will use it as a great opportunity to learn about autism organizations out of the United States. And that will be a great step. And even to talk in in a fair audience about my differences to learn theirs. Mm -hmm. This is what traveling is about. I understand this can be a really anxious time for all of us, but, you know, something that I've just recently thought about because I love traveling too, and of course I miss it, but I have been thinking about all of the travels that I've been fortunate to have, and that's made me feel better. You know, I started a journal and I was writing about my different trips, and even that self-reflection, like Tom is saying, that has helped me kind of cope with it because, you know, the reality is I don't want to be disappointed. So like you're saying, there's no guarantee. And I'd rather just focus on the positives, which is the things that I have been able to do. And, you know, we are all in this together and we're all doing what we can, but without holding on to that expectation that, you know, this might be the year that I can't go anywhere and that's okay. And that happens. And That's just life, (laughs) you know? I do want to elaborate on that. There was something I didn't mention before. That's what led me to building my autism advocacy and global awareness websites. And with that, I've been able to use it as a big memory to my autism advocacy work, all of the traveling I have done over the years. Mm -hmm. All right, guys, I'd like to close with one last question. What advice would you give to other people with autism who may be hesitant about speaking up with what they need as far as accommodations, whether they're a student or they're an employee? As mentioned earlier, if you don't ask, the answer is always going to be no. So if you don't speak up, how can you expect to get what you are seeking? And a lot of times it might be difficult for people to read minds, whether you have autism or not. And people are not going to know what you need unless you say so. And also understanding that you might get a no answer. But in my experience in sales, it takes an average of seven attempts for a potential customer to say yes. Sometimes you have to 
ask enough or go to another person or if you say if you if someone tells you no i should say ask well where can i find that help because where there's a will there is a way that's what my mother her mantra was when she first found out about my diagnosis where there's a will there is a way all you have to do is keep being persistent enough and understand that failure rejection are part of life you're going to be told no or have some resistance or have some times where you get fired or you have to leave a particular place, but it's all putting you on a path to where you belong and where you need to be. So keep moving forward. Keep going through that darkness like Batman did, like I did. That's how you are going to be the light that others are seeking. That's great advice. There is a Hebrew term that I would like to mention. This term is tikkun olam. Tikkun olam is the definition of repairing the world. If you are just sitting back and doing nothing, you're not making a difference. If you are going out there and telling people who you really are, then you are making a difference, no matter how long it may take, or no matter how much questions you would be asked about how different you are from others. So if you really care about your accommodations and if you care about your needs, this is exactly what Tom said before. Now is the time to get out there and do it. Now is the time to really go out there and say who you are. There is also a quote from the famous Hillel, which is apparently my grandfather's favorite quote, and it's on his gravestone, it goes like this. If I am not for myself, who will be for me? If I am only for myself, what am I? If not now, when? Those are the questions you have to ask yourself. That will influence what you want to do out there. Despite being hunkered down in this pandemic, that should not prevent you from getting your voice out there. This is exactly what I am doing right now. Even if I can't go anywhere, that is not preventing me from being the voice of advocacy. And this is exactly the scenario that I am in. And even connecting to Thomas Island's love for Batman, because I love superheroes as well, <laughs> Batman will never take off his mask until he saves the city and stops the Joker from spe spreading chaos. <laughs> That is exactly how it will go. We will do what we can to save each other and be there for one another. And let me reemphasize before we close here that life doesn't come to you. It's up to you to come to life. That's the moral of my story. And it's what I want to tell the world. And I think this podcast is an awesome example of how we can encourage people to see that they can go out there and make things happen for themselves and they can make the world a better place. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you both so much. And how can people find out more about you? I have a website. It's thomasisland.com. And I'm on all the major social media platforms under the name Thomas Island. And there's no S in Island. It's like Rhode Island without the S. And I have a, a TEDx talk out there. If you like TED Talks or TEDx Talks, it's called How to Come to Life, based on the title of my book. And I want to thank you, Rachel, for having me here today. And I look forward to future conversations. Yeah.
David, how about you? You can view my websites on global awareness and autism advocacy to learn about my backgrounds in autism and traveling the world. You can always contact me through those websites if you would like me to speak at some of your virtual occasions. I'll include all of the links in our show notes. Well, thank you guys. Thank you for your time and for opening up your stories with our listeners and also for continuing to just be a role model for people out there. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to Autism Knows No Borders. Traditionally, most of the research on autism has been centered around understanding how the condition affects children. However, the challenges for individuals on the spectrum don't end there. Partly due to limited resources available for transitioning into the workforce, as well as to struggles coping with challenging environments, the estimated unemployment rate for people with disabilities remains high at up to 85% in the U.S. Tom and David offer sound advice for people with autism to speak up about their needs. They emphasize there is no shame in asking for help. A tutor at school could help organize study materials and clarify concepts. A job coach or mentor could aid in understanding different social cues and demonstrate acceptable behavior in the workplace. Other ideas of reasonable accommodations to request for include day-to-day guidance and feedback, help in establishing long- and short-term goals, assignment of tasks by priority, and advance notice of meetings and topics. Employees with autism can contribute unique experiences, skill sets, and perspectives to the workplace. Neurodiversity can not only help drive innovation and build effectiveness, but also promote a healthier atmosphere at work. Hiring neurodiverse staff and accommodating their needs can encourage all employees to openly discuss their own mental health without the fear of stigma, making the workplace feel safer and more inclusive for everyone. Thanks for listening. Take care. Tune in each week for engaging conversations of how people across the globe are inspiring change and building community. You've been listening to Autism Knows No Borders, brought to you by the Global Autism Project. You can find Rachel's notes for this episode and learn more about today's guests at autismknowsnoborders.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please kindly rate the show and leave a review. By doing so, You'll be helping us increase awareness and acceptance of autism around the world.